Hi, this is Pastor Jake from Harvest Community Church. We meet on Sundays at 11 a.m. at 18511 East Hampton Avenue, Suite 204. We're located in the Movie Tavern Shopping Center next to the State Farm. You can check us out online at Facebook or on our webpage at harvestcolorado.org. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon. Uh, turn with me to Matthew 6. And we'll be uh, in verse 5 through 15. This is the words of Christ. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, and they have, uh, so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And the Father who sees you in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. If you had the opportunity to know God better, would you do whatever it took to, in order to improve that relationship? If the God of the universe said, listen, I want to know who you are and I want you to know who I am and that give you the opportunity to do so, would you take him up on that offer? What would you do? What are, what are the, the things and the methods you would do in order to uh, accomplish that goal of getting to know God better? I think half the time when we think about uh, telling people about Jesus, we, we come at it from a completely uh, backward sort of way. We come at it like, ah, sinner! Rather than like, Right? I mean, we do it. Watch, listen, if you go and watch reality TV sometime, you'll see that pop out in you real quick. and be like, what's wrong with you? You need Jesus real fast. Rather than coming from a, to- a point of view that God wants to know you. And God wants to be known by you. So how do we do that? I mean, isn't that the whole point of everything? Isn't that why you're here? Don't we come to church hoping that we get some tools and ways that we can learn to relate to God better? I would hope that's why you're here. Maybe your parents just drug you. It's one of the two. I think Jesus gives us a glimpse here that God really wants us to know Him. God wants us to relate with Him. God wants us to have a companionship and a friendship that goes beyond all other human relationships. And the method and the means to that, at least one of them, is prayer. I think Jesus is trying to communicate to us this morning that prayer is the means of relating with God in friendship. So let's look at that together this morning. I asked the question earlier, what does prayer look like in Jesus' day? And it was the question I was asking myself as I was preparing the sermon this week. What did prayer mean? Because you and I understand prayer in a, maybe in a completely opposite way as to what Jesus may have understood at that time. Well, prayer in Jesus' day would have looked formal and scheduled. The Jews were required to pray at least three times a day. At least. There was the morning prayer, there was the noonday prayer, and there was the evening prayer. They were scheduled. 
And the Hebrews would pray at least two regular types of prayers. One was called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. And then it goes on later on in the rest of the, the prayer to say, and bind these things to your hearts and your minds, put them on your uh, foreheads. So it, it's a whole idea of getting this whole idea of that God is the only God. To let that knowledge of Him rest inside of your heart and your soul and your mind. They would pray the Shema three times a day. And then this is the one that blew me out of the water because I didn't know about it. It was called the Amidah. The Amidah was a collection of 19 prayers, all beginning with, Blessed are you, O Lord, our God. I know. You know what? I totally remember that. So when I was a kid, this is a side story. This is a rabbit trail. When I was 13 years old, I went to my very first bar mitzvah. And my friend Mendel, who lived in uh, Massachusetts, I went to visit him. It was really cool. So I went there, and I remember sitting in the synagogue, and the 13-year-old kid, uh, Mendel, had to get up and recite just that. Barakatah Adonai. Blessed are you, O Lord. 19 of these prayers. And they're broken up into three different sections. There's a praise, there's a petition, and there's thanksgiving. And the prayers are formally codified, were, uh, were put together to include how to recite them, the variations for times and seasons, and physical movements. There was actually things that you had to like take three steps back and one step over. It was like watching you know, uh, you know, a line dance, but for prayer, there was a... What's that? Yeah, and they would be chanted or sung. And, uh, there, was, there was a physicality to them. But they were formalized and they were scheduled. And the prayers were arranged uh, and, and to lead and instruct people on how to, proper, how to have a proper relationship with God. And it was intended that these prayers would become something that would help them foster a heartfelt response to Him. So the daily repetition was to enable the prayers to be formative, to instruct, to shape God's people. Their prayers were also to lead uh, people toward a more personal and heartfelt response to God. I've been playing guitar for about four, maybe four and a half years now. And uh, just recently, uh, Bill has been teaching me uh, and uh, online how to play the blues scale. And the blues scale starts off, you know, it, it, there's the, the pattern is the very you know, similar. You just go up and down uh, the frets and, and you make it happen. I hate it. Listen, when I sit next to Bill, when I play next to Bill on Thursdays and on Sundays, I want all that I do used to sound like Bill. I want to be and not to have any practice whatsoever, any repetition. I, I don't want to have to do the hard work that it takes to get it done. And so I'll plink along and it'll come out. And, but then I realize I just have to go back and do it again. The repetition is what allows you to suddenly become proficient in it enough that you can take the foundation of the playing and make it into your own. See, the blues is one of those things that is super personal. But once you have the foundation of it, you can make your own blues song. You can make your own blues because it comes out of you. In the same way, Jesus, when he talks about prayer, the formative things were not just meant to be done, you know, do, 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 do. Uh-uh. It was, that was the formula so that you could take that and construct your own prayers, to construct your own heartfelt responses to God. It was the blues to God. If you understand the, the, what I'm saying. Prayer then should become a riff. It should be something that you take from a little bit from here and a little bit from here, and you construct your own prayer that's heartfelt and unique to you. 
But there was also a religious and irreligious approach to prayer that Jesus is beginning to speak to here in in Matthew 6. It was either A, it was either performance for public praise. So you notice how this passage starts off where uh, Jesus is uh, saying, listen, don't pray like these guys over here, these religious professionals, because they're all about notice me for how well I say my prayers. Look at me. Guitarists know the same thing. There's always that one guy who just wants us to sit and, and, you know, and for no reason at all uh, wants to play his guitar for you. And they'll just go off all over the place just so that you can look at them and go, wow, that guy's amazing. Prayer can sometimes turn into that in Jesus' day. Notice my exact movements. Notice my correct pronunciation. Notice my proper clothing and how well I look today. Notice how well I pray. Isn't it perfect? Don't you want to be like me? Prayer then becomes a performance art. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. Prayer is not a performance art for you to be seen by other people. Prayer is a a means of relating with God in your unique way, in the way that he created you. But not only does prayer sometimes become a performance art, and Jesus is railing against that, but he rails on the other side of it too. There's an irreligious way of dealing with prayer where it becomes a means of personal end. So the Gentiles or the pagan religions would look at gods and they would say, okay, this is the god of um, uh, the harvest. This is the god of rain. And this is the uh, the god of of, uh, personal fulfillment. And if I just say the right words to the right god at the right time in the right fashion that thing will grant to me the exact thing that I want. Prayer then, for those people, was not a means to connect with God, but a means of getting what they wanted out of that God. Prayer became an incantation. If I just see, if I just say the right words, God will do for me what I want Him to. So then who becomes the real God in that one? Yourself. If I can get the gods to do for me what I want, then I'm the one who's really in control. And no longer you're relating to God, but you are really saying, you know, give me what is mine. So Jesus comes at it from a radical point of view. He says, it's not a performance art, and it's not a means to an end. But rather, it's a means to relate to God in relationship. Here's Jesus' prayer. Notice, it's not a replacement for the Shema. It's not a replacement for the Amidah. Rather, it's a concise reformation of them both. It is a consolidation of those two wonderful prayers into a concise form. Jesus, in a sense, reforms the prayers and brings it into a way that cannot be or should not be uh, used as a, a performance art, nor as a method for getting out of God what you want. It becomes a concise prayer that is not where performance is not an option. It becomes concise enough that it cannot be mistaken for incantation. It's easy to remember, easy to pray, whenever and wherever. We all know the Lord's Prayer. Every one of us. You went to Sunday school, you grew up in any sort of church home. Most likely you know this prayer. And most likely you've sped through it like I used to. Growing up Catholic, we used to have to pray the rosary. Do you know how fast you can say the, 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 our fathers? Real quick, right? <laughs> Just scrolling up that thing, trying to get it done. Because if the priest says, listen, you've got to do 10 Hail Marys and you've got to do 20 Our Fathers, you need to get that done pretty darn quick. So you roll. That's not what it's for, in the sense. It's not that quick. It's not meant for that. Here's what Jesus is telling us through this. Number one, he's telling us that this prayer communicates intimacy with God. 
If you notice, it starts off with not Barakatah Adonai, not blessing are you, O Lord, our God, which is great, but it says our Father. And when you say Father in the, in the Hebrew religion, <clears throat> it, it actually communicates this uh, solemnity and responsible attention to God, but it also communicates intimacy. In the same way that when we approach our fathers, our earthly fathers, we can, uh, as adults, we can approach them on a much more of a level playing field, as it were. They're still our fathers worthy of our respect. But there's also this um, uh, intimacy and there's also this friendship and, and communion you have with them. So when we say our father, we are really looking at God from the point of view of, I come to you as the one who created me, who loves me more than I love myself. The one who is in charge of the heavens and the earth, and yet you have stooped so low to become my friend. Our Father. And while it's not a casual feeling, but of one of love and respect, of holiness and approachability, God in this prayer is saying, I am approachable as a Father. But it also communicates a return to a more simple and heartfelt prayer. You see, the Pharisaical religion had complicated things with additional rules and regulations and governing prayers and times and religious life. They had put this burden on the people saying no longer was the religion safe or not safe, but simple. It was Jesus is saying, let's, let's go back to a simpler, more heartful response to God. See, Jesus's prayer really frees the prayer to commune with God with simple and heartfelt words. Jesus' prayer seems to reflect the abbreviated and shortened, uh, uh, abbreviated version of the Amidah, the shortened praise, petition, and thanksgiving. And lastly, I think it communicates the return to an honest and authentic form of prayer. If you notice in, this, in these words here, there's petition for daily needs. Give us our daily bread for personal forgiveness, for reconciliation help, protection, deliverance. This is honest and authentic. This isn't flowery. This isn't like, you know, Gregorian chant, which is cool, but it's still not. It's not like super, like way up here. It's down here. They're down here words for God who came down here. See, prayer, this one, lays bare our souls in front of God. See, Jesus' prayer refocuses us on the true purpose of prayer, to cultivate a personal and corporate response to God. So how does that accomplish that? Number one, I think Jesus gives us a prayer that enables us to pledge our loyalty to love or loyalty and love to God. The Our Father or the Lord's Prayer is a personal personal pledge. Not like the one, you, it's kind of not, not dissimilar to the Pledge of Allegiance that we used to say when we were in kids in, in uh, school. But this becomes a Pledge of Allegiance in a sense to God. Listen to what I mean. It pledges to God as Him and Him alone, our Father who is in heaven. Holy is your name. It's a pledge to His power over all things. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then the middle of the prayer actually expresses trust in God's provision and forgiveness. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And in the end, it's a pledge to trust in God's leading and ability to rescue out of things that we cannot save ourselves out of. It's a pledge. But it's not only that. Jesus' prayer also gives us the ability to have a useful pattern for interacting with God. When it comes to guitars, you can sometimes get the fret 
on paper and it will tell you all the different how to play all the different scales. It gives you a pattern of how to actually do this thing. Jesus' prayer also gives us a pattern of prayer. He says, when you pray, pray then like this. It says, if he laid it out for us and says, Here is the, here's the skeleton. Here's the frame of the prayer house you're building. Here's how you do it. Here's how you fill in the holes. Here's how you fill in the walls and make things beautiful. Adoration. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. There's submission. Thy kingdom come. Your will be done. There's dependency. Give us this day. There's petition. Forgive us. There's confession. And there's guidance. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You see the pattern? It's not only a pledge, but it is a pattern as well. Something we can actually take away from us today and we can take into the world, into our own personal time with God on a daily basis and use. It's extremely practical. But lastly, I think Jesus' prayer reminds us, is a reminder of God's previous responses to his people and the hope of his own involvement in our lives today. Here's what I mean. Most prayers in the Old Testament are a testimony to God's previous actions for what He has done for people already. Most of the prayers that God provided the people were testimonies. Look at the Psalms. I can't tell you how many times the Psalms reference the deliverance out of Egypt. I can't tell you how many times there are prayers in there that reference all the things that God has done. And this prayer is no different. Follow along if you see it. The beginning reminds us that there is one God, Yahweh. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It's a reminder of God's revelation to man. It says, I am, there is no other. The shadow of the Shema is here. There's also a reminder that this world and all that is in it is God's and that His will is sovereign. In the beginning, God made the world, right? In the beginning, God created the earth. It's the shadow of the Ten Commandments in here. You shall have no other gods. Do you see? How about daily bread? Give us today our daily bread. It's a reminder of God's dealing with the Israelites in the wilderness when they cried out saying, we ain't got nothing to eat. And God said, okay. And he rained down manna on them every day, all day. And, and they gathered what they needed for their daily bread. So when we pray, give us the, today our daily bread, we're actually thinking about what God did for the Israelites back in the wilderness. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is essential because we're all sinners and we are in need of it. Israel's history is a glaring example of our need to be reconciled with God, but not just personal and corporate forgiveness of sins, but also recognizing that we need to forgive others as we have been forgiven. God's reconciliation should influence our reconciling with each other. God's leading it reminds me of the smoke and the fire and the Israelites wandering. It reminds me of his giving of the law, his prophets speaking truth to power. You see, it tells us that God is intimately involved in the past and now even more so involved in our present. And it reminds me of God's rescue and saving power. You see, God saved Israel over and over and over and over and over. And God saved us over and over and over and over through Christ. It's a pledge, it's a pattern, it's a promise. So what do we do with it? What do we do with this? 
we've some of us in Protestant sort of circles have have kind of said, well, we'll just relegate this to you know the special time of year that once a year that we actually talk about the Lord's Prayer, uh, and we don't ever say it. So the question always remains: Well, should I say it? Is the Lord's Prayer something I should put into practice on a daily basis? If Jesus said pray like this, then I I assume we should pray like this. Yes, pray it. By all means, add it in. If you don't pray at all right now, there you go. Here's a primer. Start with this. See, prayer is our means of interacting with God on a personal and in a church level. It's our way of becoming closer with Him, cultivating a personal relationship with Him. When Jesus says pray, we should pray. And for generations before us, people who are closer to God than I will ever be, this has been the foundational prayer for them. We should use it as our personal pledge to God, our pattern for prayer, and our daily reminder of God's involvement in our lives. And just as the same way that the Hebrew Shema and the Hebrews uh, uh, Amidah were used to develop a heartfelt response to God, let prayer, this prayer, do the same for you. Let Jesus' words reform you and the way you pray. Let the words become foundational for your own personal and heartfelt responses to God. See, prayer is the gateway for intimacy with God. It's where we meet Him and where He meets us. So, in that spirit, I invite you to stand with me this morning and we're going to recite this. But we're going to do it in the way that we used to do it. What I'd like you to do is we'd all like to join hands, kind of squish in the middle. I know, it means moving. I get it. It means disrupting your personal space. If you don't know it, it's okay. I'll, I'll say it out loud and you can just say watermelon. Let's pray in the way the Lord taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.